welcome to the Life and Times with Captain Barty Miller. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me, of course, is the rookie, Mr. Chris Dashu. I promise everyone, this is not a wig. <laughs> a coming all the way down from internal affairs, Mr. Otto Bruno. Oh, wow. Are you guys that upset with me because I missed the last season that I've gotten demoted to internal affairs with Scanlon? No, internal affairs. You're coming down to, to crack some skulls. Tell us what we're doing <laughs> wrong here. <laughs> Plus, I've been on the take this entire time. So, Oh, my it. God. Mm-hmm. I never would have thought it was you, Mike. I always would have thought it was your pal Fredo there. (laughs) On this podcast, we talk about Barney Miller. And on this episode, we are cracking into the seventh season. What does this have in store for us? Who bought this wig? What the hell's going on with the 12th Precinct? We are talking about a two-parter that starts off the seventh season, Homicide Part 1 and Part 2, which aired October 30th, 1980, and November 6th, 1980, and The Delegate, which aired November 13th, 1980. In Homicide, we have a very special episode of Barney Miller, but we don't really realize that it's a very special episode until that second part. Uh, First part, pretty light and fluffy, um, even though these guys are... Being told that they have to switch, we are we are specializing now. Every single precinct is going to be specializing in a different crime, and the old one too is going to be the homicide department. Homicide, life on the streets. Who do, to, who do you want to jump in first? Because I'm going to let Chris and you. Otto, Otto's, Otto is just shaking his fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm. You know what, Otto. As you are our guest, <laughs> you can go first because I know you have feelings because I've read your book. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Yes, I do have feelings that I make a very clear in the book. Um, this season, season opening twofer, uh, I say in the book and I still feel that way. It was a, a severe miscalculation, in my opinion, on the part of the writers. Uh, it amazed me then. It amazed me while I was doing the research and talking to some of these guys. And it continues to amaze me that they, that in my opinion, they so misread the Barney Miller audience. Um, I have always said that one of the things I loved most about Barney Miller was that it tackled serious subject matter while always making the show funny. <laughs> there are two other decidedly unfunny episodes in the series. One, of course, is Wojo's Girl, the second part two of Wojo's Girl, which really wasn't technically a part two. It was an hour show when it came on the air uh, originally in prime time. And then there's a one that will, I think, is still coming up. I don't know if it's this season or next season with a Nazi. You know, Nazi is never good. So that that's a different one. But those two were not funny. Um, what about the rape episode, Otto? I did Kinda not see that coming. <laughs> the, no one ever expects Nazis to be funny, really. Well, the rape episode I always thought was more interesting from a cultural aspect because of the fact that, of course, at the time the rape episode was aired, which I think was 77, I want to say, um, soci- our society didn't consider that a woman could be raped by her husband. Right. Now, obviously, we feel differently 
nowadays, and and I agree with that. But I'm just saying at the time it was it, it it was it was handled differently because all of society looked at it differently. So it was a different thing. This this homicide uh, episode. First of all, I I did rewatch it again today. Quite painful to have to do that. Um, it really. It almost never works in almost any of the any part of the the episode. It feels you should pardon the pun, but the whole episode just feels kind of dead. It just kind of lays there. You know what I mean? And I'm talking about the episode meaning the two together as one, not you know, not part one or part two. Um, when I talked to Tony Sheehan, and I think I wrote this in the book, but I'm not positive. When I talked to Tony Sheehan, who at that point was the showrunner, because this is one of the seasons that Danny Arnold was not at the helm. He had walked away for a couple of years due to his to his health uh, situation. Tony Sheehan was a showrunner. And when I talked to Tony and I was asking him about this, and he he basically responded like, I was not the first person to have ever told him how angry this episode made me or this storyline made me. Um, and he said, yeah, we were kind of surprised. We thought people would, would, I don't know if he said appreciate or find funny the irony of the situation. Um, can I, can I give the spoiler alert? Can I tell him? Oh what, yeah. What the we problem is that everybody has seen this episode before. They yeah. And of us. course <laughs> the problem is that Mr. Cotterman who is a long-standing character? We have he has recurred, um, as I say in the book. Whether it was this gentleman himself, which I'm blanking on the the uh, actor's name now, Jack Somak. Jack Somak. Okay. Thank you. He used to do a lot of commercials as well. But um, whether it was Jack Somak as Cotterman, or even like Lou Jacoby in the first season who runs the deli, it's not Cotterman, but basically it is the same character that runs throughout the entire series. Somak, I think, played the, the character maybe six or seven times. I don't know what it was. But we came, just like the 12th Precinct, we came to know Mr. Cotterman as a friend. And when <laughs> when she had said that to me about, oh, well, we, we were always surprised how people took that. And I'm like, well, what's there to be surprised about? Cotterman was a friend. No, he said, I know what it was. He said, well, no one seemed upset by the barber, the, the character that um, that Jack Dodson plays who kills his barber. And I said to, to Tony, I'm like, yeah, because we don't know him. We don't care about him. And it's not that I don't care about his barber, but I didn't know his barber. Either. Yeah. And we never see the barber. There is no personal connection to the barber. Exactly. This, this episode is very odd. Well, for a lot of reasons, but. One of them is it feels like we, you know, because we talk a lot about the actors that show up on the show consistently. And Jack Dodson feels like he was just on this. I think it was within the last, I think our last episode, Chris, we actually talked about Jack Dodson. So here he is again. And this time he's playing a character that I feel is much more close to his personality, let's say, because <laughs> he can play creepy really really well um actually i take it back it was episode 16 of the sixth season he was also way back in episode uh or season two episode 10 um but yeah it just seemed like it feels like we just saw this guy the next time that we talk chris 
there's going to be another person that is coming back who we just saw in the last episode. It feels like there's even more actors like we just saw this person. So it feels like they're recycling them very close together right now. This is oh. uh, this is without a doubt. This, this might be worse than Wojo's girl. I mean, it's, no, 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 no. It's, Not for me. Not for me. I mean, it's it, it, it misses the mark with what it's going for really wide like it misses it's like it misses wide right real hard i don't i don't know who thought it was a good idea to be like on this very special episode of barty miller one of the characters that has been introduced five other times gets shot in the head point blank like it's just like rough holy fuck show what are what are you doing why like and it's it's never made clear why other than to like to really just like make Barney and the rest of the precinct feel terrible, which they should. But like the guy doesn't have to be murdered execution style point blank. Like it's just it that's like, fuck, that's excessive. Don't you think, guys? Like and you know what? It's really excessive in a way that this show is this show that normally shows restraint, even though it has at one point offered up the idea that that he is an alien is a thing that this show has offered up in in genuine earnestness and this is something that could have worked and it misses the mark just it misses the mark in a way that this show does not miss the mark outside of wojo's girl which felt as like as poorly designed as this one did in a different way but just still as poorly designed you guys are so upset about the storyline i'm still stuck on the hair i'm still thinking about wojo's <laughs> I, wig <laughs> i told that to you last bat the end of last episode. I was like, wait for the hair man Oh, I, everybody. I mean, Harris's hair has gotten bigger. Dietrich's is curlier. Uh, Barney's is longer. I think you you said the only person who's not changed is Levitt. And I'm I'm for that. You know, please don't change these hairstyles, especially this weird wig that Wojo's wearing. Well, 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 of course, Max Gale never wanted to wear that. And again, it was Tony. I think it was I think it was Tony Sheehan or Jeff Stein. But I think it was Tony Sheehan who told me that at one point, Max Gale had said to him, why don't we do a storyline where we discover that Wojo's been wearing a piece, you know, a hair piece. And, and Tony said, well, no, Max, because Wojo doesn't wear a hair piece. Max Gale wears a, a hair piece, but Wojo <laughs> doesn't. But of course, of course, as Chris has so subtly pointed out, um, it's so obvious now that you know, you certainly could get away with that storyline because it doesn't look genuine uh, at all, unfortunately. And of course, Max, it, 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 in an interesting twist of how these things work, um, Max, if you've seen other work that he's done, is in no way vain about his baldness. He doesn't care about that in the least. In fact, he wanted the hairpiece off because he didn't want to work with the hairpiece. But basically, I think it was George Spiro Doby or DB, the guy who was the the lighting guy, um, said, you know, they would get too much of a glare yeah. from his forehead. So they wanted him, to, you know, it was easier for him to wear a hairpiece. Um, it would ma- it made the lighting a little easier, but uh, yeah, it is. It's pretty. It's pretty obvious. It's not a. But again, <laughs> I've pretty never, obvious. You say I've never really seen a hairpiece that I didn't know was a hair. I mean, I guess if I didn't know it, then it must have been good. But most hairpieces that I've ever seen in my whole life were pretty obvious. Otto, you're up in the Northeast. You know about Maury's wigs, don't you? 
Maury's wigs? <laughs> they don't come off. Maury Amsterdam's wigs? <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a Goodfellas reference. Oh, uh, no, I don't I don't like Goodfellas. Oh, I'm not excited. Is there a problem on the line here? <laughs> yeah, I don't think... <laughs> <laughs> but now, uh, and on another episode of Barney Miller, <laughs> uh, this the, I don't I I just I I'm not surprised to learn that they're surprised that people didn't like this episode because I feel like this it was done in earnest is you know what I mean like I don't think that they were trying to get a rise out of anybody it's just it feels like a really weird choice for a show that is normally a little bit lighter than, hey, one of the characters that you just saw who you've seen plenty of times got murdered in cold blood. Like, whoa. Also, while talking about a torso murderer at the same time, like, where is the light fun in this episode? Oh, it really ain't any. <laughs> well, that was the thing I was thinking about. You know, we've talked on this show so many times, and Otto, you've really pointed out in the book that Arnie is this negotiator, and so many people leave the precinct without ever really serving any time or really getting arrested. Charges are dropped. Understandings are made. You can't do that in this episode because when when you've got the woman who's like, oh, yeah, I hired this guy to kill my husband and the husband comes in, you've got all this you know, drama between them. And I, I love this guy. I think he's the guy from again. I think we just saw him. He's the guy from the Blues Brothers. They smell bad. You know, the guy in the restaurant shaped Paul and you can't just say, well, you understand each other now. You're not going to have your husband murdered. You're free to go. They, you can't do that in this episode. You can't say that to Howard from uh, Andy Griffith. Hey, it's all a big misunderstanding. Your hair looks fine. You're free to go. Nothing. You cannot let these people go. The only thing that is a carryover from the pre-homicide days in this episode is the the whole conflict between Mr. Cotterman and his neighbor, his, the shop owner next door. This whole Arab versus Jew thing. And Ugh. I'm so glad we're past that now and that there's <laughs> peace in the Middle East. I mean, thank you, Jared Kushner, for solving all that. So that was good. I, you know, uh, uh, I had forgotten that part. And then I'm watching it today. I'm like, holy hell, is that uncomfortably? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Like yeah. right and uh, hitting the nail right on the head. I'm like, I was holy Christ. I was laughing so hard when they talk about the skirmish that they had, and I think it's Harris said, and then the a six minute war ensued. Yes, I lost my shit, and I was just like, would people understand that reference today? And also, I forgot how many hostage references there were in this episode as well. There's one in each. Part one and part two, they make reference to the hostage situation because that was going on, what was it, November 79 all the way up to January 81. Correct. So the hostages had been taken like uh, for a full year at this point. Almost this a aired. full year. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Wow. <laughs> It, 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 when I, when I, yeah, when they started going back and forth and he calls him an, oh God, yeah. Says he's an Arab. We didn't introduce him as a Jew. It's like, oh no. I literally thought to myself, I was like, no, please don't go there. Like for yeah. all of the things that the show has to do right now, please don't go there. And when it did, I was like, oh God, he said expansionist. Oh God. Oh God. And it's just like. Yep. Any other time, it probably wouldn't have been a thing at all. Like, we would have just been, I don't even think we would have said anything about it. Like, really, like, think about another time we do this show. We wouldn't have said anything. We'd be like, eh, 
that's a weird joke. Would anybody get you would probably have said, Mike, oh, would anybody give gotten this like in, right. in 2023? And now it's like, is there any way we get out from underneath it? Like, <laughs> no, I, since, there, since there's never really been peace in the Middle East in our lifetimes, I think we certainly would have mentioned it. The six day war versus six minute wars for me is more a fact that it's like nobody knows history anymore. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's right. how I think of it. But um, but I, I mean, I did think their whole exchange in the cell with with uh, Vanessa Redgrave. Yes. Lynn Redgrave. You mean Lynn. Yeah. That whole Zionist comment. And the, and the whole thing with house calls and Pernell Roberts and all that. Oh. Bonanza. I thought that was actually yeah. kind of funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, that exchange. And I thought Alan, uh, Alan Ann McCleary, is that her name? The woman that plays uh, the woman who wanted to kill her husband. Right. Um, like normally I could find her and her delivery and all that stuff funny. But it's just for the whole, for some reason this this whole there's like such a pall over this whole episode that it just doesn't pop and it doesn't work even though some of that stuff was funny but it didn't work within the context of the show. The mm-hmm. episode is very brown like for whatever reason like all of it is very brown and like the 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 color brown ends up informing the tone of the episode. It's it's. And like, and you know what? That we haven't even mentioned it yet. Like, in what fucking universe is the character that James Gregory is playing? This is like a weird Luger oh, on top. Boy. Like the strangest things. He's like, hey, yeah. Like that's not a thing. Like that's this is like this again. Like who who's writing these characters? Because all of a sudden it's everybody is just going against type and they're just like we're gonna do something new and fun with it and it's like you know you can do things new and different but this this might be a step too far and also i was gonna mention this here the thing with harris and Mm. trisha o'neill is really not great no why is that i thought you'd appreciate that why is it not great (laughs) it's kind of predatory for a while like i don't know like it kind of is i mean like they kind of retrieve it back at the end but like it's weird because like i'm saying it's predatory because harris has never been characterized that way before even when they did it with dietrich and they kind of did it with dietrich at one point and it seemed like again like it's more of just like a current read on it less like a past read it seemed kind of weird when it was i think it was with wasn't she like a witness or something and he was like oh yeah i mean you know what i mean like it's just it's yeah, just, he was sitting on her like she was a nun. Right. And so this was just <laughs> He was like, a nun. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different lady that he was really, yeah. Yeah, you're right. There was a, a some predatory stuff. I mean, I really appreciated seeing this actress. I loved her. Right. And she's in one of my favorite episodes of Star Trek. She's Captain Rachel Garrett of Enterprise C. I think we talked about her maybe on another podcast that we've done but yeah i i liked her i liked her character i liked her whole artistic uh crime scene photos and all that like oh you can keep the cute one and then yeah harris like dropping that he's a published author and all this stuff but when he just keeps going after i can see what you're talking about chris yeah it's just like just chill dude like that i mean it's not a matter of it not being funny. It's just like you've run the joke into the ground and now you're just making the character look like he's a fucking idiot and he's not. Like for most of the time, Harris is the smartest guy in the precinct other than Barney, at least in terms of being self-aware because he's the only black man in the precinct. And normally right. he's much more self-aware than he seems to be. I mean, again, to your point, Otto, like this episode is very weird because it feels like none of the characters are operating based off of the last six seasons. They're operating off of someone who 
maybe watched the show and is writing for the show now, as opposed to someone who's written for the show a lot and understands how to get the most out of these actors in their like sixth season in, you know, seventh season characters. Yeah. Um, I don't, there was one reference in this that I didn't get. Um, Levitt is actually, it's in part two, but Levitt is bringing in the man that was hired to assassinate um, Ben Piazza, David Chulton. Yeah. He says something to the assassin, like he calls him Mr. Sykes or Richard Jenkel. And I'm like, what? Who? What? I, I was, or sorry, Mr. Sykes is a character name. Richard Jenkel, it sounded like he called Alan him. And I was like, Fount? I, I was like, is this like a, a, a murderer from 1980? No, I'm trying no? to think. Is that the um, Sykes? Wait a minute. Was Sykes the character's actual name? I think Sykes was the character's name. Yeah. Alan Funt is what he said. Well, Alan Funt, sorry. Alan Funt, they, there's the guy who's locked in the trunk. And I'm not even sure if that's this episode, is it? Yeah. And he says, he says that episode. people, okay, it must be beginning of part two, because beginning of part one's the old lady that's passing bad checks. And that never comes back again, which is odd. Like, usually if they introduce something in the first part, they bring it back later. But yeah, there's the guy who is locked in his own trunk. I want to say, Chris, that that was the next episode, the delegate episode, but I could be wrong. But yeah, he is talking about how he was locked in there for like four fucking days. He smells like absolute garbage. And he says that people were were saying that it was Alan Funt that was in the trunk. So that was a um, candy candy camera ref. Right. Right. But yeah, when Levitt is bringing in the assassin guy, yeah, Vincent Sykes is the character's name. Michael uh, Alamo is the actor's name Alimo, yeah I thought he called him Richard Richard Jenkel and I'm like what is that so sorry just to throw that the out the only there. thing I think of is Richard Jekyll who was an actor but uh, right yeah I was trying to look him up and I was like this doesn't yeah. make any sense all huh. right all yeah, right sorry I, I didn't ca- I I'm I'm embarrassed to say I didn't even catch it so um I don't know that one. I don't know that one. I don't know about, but I try to place these jokes if I can. Cause it's just, you know, sometimes it's like, what the hell was that joke about? Right. <laughs> you know, the other, the other, uh, big problem I had with this two parter and, and Chris said something about, you know, this very special episode. And those of us who, you know, lived through that time, remember those very special episodes, which were all almost always episodes that I fucking hate it. Okay. Because again, I'm a guy who, if you're going to sell me comedy, I want comedy. I don't want a civics lesson. I don't want an ethics lesson. I don't want a morals lesson. I don't want anything. That's just me. But what's interesting, and Chris alluded to this at the very beginning, is that they didn't sell this like that. Okay, so it wasn't sold to us like that. So that's number one. We're really kind of blindsided once we get in there. Oh, um, hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, as as we've been saying, you know, those first six seasons, we were not prepared for anything like this. Chris, uh, I, I mean, Chris makes the great point that to add insult to injury, <laughs> then they describe to us how oh, right. Mr. Cotterman was murdered and that is literally like a kick in the nuts i mean that's 10 times worse and and again they're trying to do too much 
in too short a time. Because, of course, the other problem is, you know, Harris comes in trying to hide his depression or disgust or whatever that first time. And he's having a Danish, you know, but then he has one bite and then all of a sudden he's totally depressed and throws it out like in, in a matter of, you know, a snap of a finger in seconds. And of course, the biggest problem with all of this is after they put us through this hell in in part two, we find out Mr. Connerman has been killed. That scene ends. We come back for what's essentially the epilogue and they're no longer homicide. Nothing else is said. Nothing is said. They don't say how they got back to doing what they were doing, why they went back to doing what they were doing. We will never hear Mr. Cotterman mentioned ever again. It, it's it, it's just it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> it, uh, no, but the name not. Armin Tamzarian comes to mind. <laughs> if uh, if any of you are familiar with uh, the 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 pop culture phenomenon that is The Simpsons, the episode "The Principal and the Pauper" is often seen as the moment where the sh- the show jumped the shark because Principal Skinner was revealed to be ha- have not been the real Principal Skinner the whole time, and it was actually a man named Armin Tamzarian. And then by the end of the episode, they literally run him out of town on a rail. And I believe the judge of the, the judge that reoccurs in The Simpsons goes, you know, uh, there will never be referred to uh, ever again. And uh, if someone does, they'll uh, be, you know, under penalty of torture. torture. So it's like, yeah. yeah. And it's like, this is this for me is like that level of just like the show jumped the shark. Why? Like for no for no good reason. Like what a terrible like. Here's the other thing we haven't mentioned, Otto. This is the first episode of season seven. Like, what the fuck were they thinking? Can you imagine watching this for the first time as a new viewer to the show and just being like, what is the, this isn't the, sh- this is a funny yeah. show. Like, is this a, like, why are people watching this? When I would ask, why are you watching this show? If you watch these two episodes, it's really a rough watch. I don't know if I say it outright in the book, but I, I do feel, I think I said it in the book, but I'm not, I'm not positive. I do think this is ultimately the weakest season is season seven. You do say that because, but, oh, yeah, like. because they do make a bit of a comeback in season eight. Um, but yes, this this season, definitely they lose their way. Season six without Danny, I thought they did pretty well considering. Oh, we liked season six. Yeah, Slot. considering I they think didn't we talk- have Danny. I think we said it may be our favorite season of the show. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, so... So yeah, well, so then there you go. That that makes it even all the more interesting because the guys who were running things in season six are running things in season seven. This would have fooled me. This episode could give you whiplash. Like <laughs> after they find out that the Mr. Cotterman is dead, and every time we say Cotterman, I'm just like Mr. Cotter. Mr. Cotterman is dead. Um, in comes Luger, whistling away. We we talked a little bit about Luger and yeah how odd this performance is this whole thing of how he wants to be this media liaison and he starts going off about people in the media and stuff he comes in whistling and Barney's like do you want to hear a joke Inspector and he goes into this whole tirade about how horrible it is working in homicide and just you know you can't help the people that you actually need to help that need that and he just really going it's a great great performance. And I, I thought that was really nice, but I mean, but then, I mean, to go from the death to the whistling and then to this big tirade, and then it's like, I was expecting a capper. I was actually expecting Luger to be like, 
well, that's not a very funny joke, Barn. You know, like something, but it just felt like this whole thing. Because, yeah, to your point, within a few minutes, it's okay. Alex does agree to go out with Harris. There's this whole thing of like, well, maybe he doesn't because he's so depressed after Cotterman. But eventually, when she offers to make him dinner at home, he perks up and it's like, oh, okay. And then, yeah, you get that epilogue with the here's all the files coming back. Oh, hey, there's a shooting spree at a bowling alley. Isn't it nice that we don't have to go over there? And then the whole wrap up of uh, what, what do they call him? Mr. Glad, Gladman, the uh, trash bag killer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Harris starts talking like he's fucking mind hunter. And then Barney takes the air out of it by saying he left his wallet in one of the garbage bags. Yeah. I thought that was a good joke. But again, we just had a character die in a horrific way, off screen, granted, but a horrific way. Our hearts are still like, in our hands here, maybe with a commercial break in between that would have worked a little bit better, but man, oh man, it just, with no commercials and going from one to the next, it was tough going. I really wanted Howland to, to go, see Luger, we live in a society. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's just, that monologue is like, I mean, I, yeah, 100%, we understand why you're upset, but also like, what the fuck, show? Like, like genuinely, this is so... So tonally bizarre for a show that even in its most serious moments is not. And oh, by the way, we kind of already we glossed over. I mean, you mentioned like, oh, you can't have murderers just getting away with it. This happens right after Barney goes, hey, book this woman for like attempted murder and a felony. Like this woman's going to prison for a very long time. And then, oh, by the way, we now have a guy get murdered. Like within like the two seconds of that, it's like, what in the hell? Mm -hmm. It just, it it seems really mean spirited and in a way that this show has never been. And I don't know why it would be other than they thought that they were being, I mean, again, to your point, Otto, it sounds like they thought they were being clever and like, maybe, yeah. right. I don't know. Like it, co it comes off not clever at all. Problem is that the, the murder of Cotterman ultimately makes everything else really not work. Like that last bit with Alan Ann McClary there and, and he tells her she's going to go, you know, they're going to arrest her, this and that. And she looks at her husband and she says, thank you. Because we've already met Ben Piazza, who brilliantly, <laughs> brilliantly shows us why you might want to kill him. You know what I mean? Because he's so annoying. So again, all of that stuff might have been funny had we not just been told what we had just been told. Right. So it's it's yeah. Look, it 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 was a big swing and a big miss, basically. I mean, two of our favorite shows that we've talked about on here that still keep coming back are things like I can't remember the episode name. It was the one where Chano had to shoot a guy. That was bank, a bank, yeah. Right. That was a super serious moment. And that was like great television, great drama. That was wonderful. The Harris incident got really serious for a while, and they pulled that mix of comedy and drama off beautifully. This just felt so clunky. Like, right. to Chris's point, it felt like somebody who they had described those episodes to, to these writers, and they're just like, oh, we can do that. We can mix drama and comedy no problem yeah what a yeah. what a wet fart to start the season off with yeah yeah it was, it was a big swing and a big miss it was yeah. it was and yeah i mean it's it was it's funny because the our our wonderful uh, uh listeners out there don't know but 
I was supposed to be on with you guys last, you know, for the, the some episodes in season six, near the end of season six, that I specifically wanted to be on because I think it was the episode with uh, Officers Zatelli. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I always like to bust uh, Chris's chops about uh, the feeling that I feel looking at it as a kid who was born in the 60s and watch this in its first run, that it was a very progressive show for its time. And I think Chris's generation has difficulty recognizing the progressiveness of old shows because they're not as progressive, obviously, as we think now. So I always like to give him a hard time with that. I wasn't able to do that because I screwed up technologically. It was my fault. I couldn't be it. So then you said, well, come and join us for the beginning of season seven. And I see... Homicide. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I said, I said, it's almost like they knew they were punishing me for missing the other one. So, um, no, I, never. We would, ne- no one would ever intentionally do something like that because that doesn't make for good podcasting. No, no. And plus, like I said, we thought season six was, you know, a high point and we're just like, okay, great. What does season seven have to bring to us? You know, we we knew that Noma directed almost every episode of season six. We had our very familiar writing staff. We're seeing the same names here for season seven. So I'm like, okay, great. More of the same. And Chris is like, I think Otto said that seven is bad. I'm like, no, no, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. I have access to this little book that Otto wrote. And it's not a little book. It's a giant book. No. Because it covers every episode. Kill a child with that. (laughs) You could kill Mr. Cotterman with it. Oh, my God. (laughs) And he was beaten to death with a copy of Otto's book. Uh, It's it's what's called a tome. T-O-M-E. But no, I mean, I did mention to Mike, like, I was like, I'm pretty sure because I read in Otto's book, like I read ahead and I was like, I'm pretty sure Otto said it doesn't like the seventh season. And look, if, uh, you know, what's funny is this, these two episodes are really not great together. And I know, you know, I said, Wojo's girl and Mike, you were like, oh, I don't know. If it's that. I mean, like it's, it's as bad. I think it's as bad just in a different way. I, I don't, it's, it's not bad in this, like Wojo's girls is fucking boring. Like it's just, it's so boring and it meanders. Like this is just, this is like a race to the bottom to see how, atypical an episode of Barney Miller we can really have. But what's funny is I kind of don't mind the next episode. I actually think the next episode's yeah perfectly fine in a way that's like, oh, look, it's Barney Miller again. It's like back to our originally scheduled programming of Barney Miller, not whatever that bullshit was for those two episodes. Because like, I, I can't imagine, I can't even, here's the ultimate question that I have. Can anyone in this episode right here the three of us genuinely imagine that show that they had there being successful for anyone in the 80s like good i mean like if it had started out that way sure but this show pivoting like that there and being that show from here on out would be a complete disaster well it goes against my persona that i've built up on this show already but <laughs> i will have to say bravo to you again chris i mean damn you're you're forcing me to give you props tonight um because you bring up a good point when you say that if people had seen this first later in this decade <laughs> danny's last show was a show called joe bash okay and it was also about a beat cop played by um 
Peter uh, Boyle. Boyle, thank you. Played by Peter Boyle. And I think it lasted five, maybe six episodes. And the reason it didn't go, what pretty much everybody said, it was way too dark from from the get-go. It was very, very dark. And he was still trying to be funny, but it was too dark for anyone to really enjoy the humor of it. Um, so I think you bring up a good point. Uh, and, and, and again, though, remember, that was Danny's last at bat. Danny isn't here for this one. I mean, at least from what I was told, it didn't sound like Danny had really any input for season six and seven. He pretty much, by season seven, I believe he was coming into the office, but he was pretty much letting those guys run it. He was staying away from it. Now, I don't know if, if he had any input, but certainly not by, I, I didn't get that impression from anyone I spoke with about it. So, um, but yeah, that's a good point because no, I don't think it would have. Cause I think this is just too dark and the funny doesn't overcome the darkness in this. <laughs> yeah. So the, so the next episode delegate. Yeah. This is much more of a return <laughs> to form. Right. Though that opening shot of this episode is very odd. This kind of over the shoulder shot of Mr. Turner with, uh, I want to say it's Harris and Dietrich on the other side there. And I'm just like, what are we doing over the shoulder shots from? This is this mysterious window that we discovered, Chris, in the last season where people are looking out this window that we didn't even know existed. And now it looks like it's a shot through the window of these two guys over Mr. Turner's shoulder. I can't remember what Turner's thing was. Oh, he was one of the victims of this robber who only come strikes between like two forty-five and three o'clock or something right. like that. The guy right. in the work release program. And Dietrich gets really pissed off when his his major theory uh, is uh, not proven to be true. Not a lot of uh, not enough Dietrich for me. And actually, episode. I didn't think I didn't understand why they why why Harris was taking such pleasure in Dietrich being wrong because he really sort of wasn't wrong. He wasn't, no, because he said, "Well, maybe he's getting out of work then." Well, he sort of was getting out of work. He was mm-hmm. getting out of prison and for an hour and a half to go to a class that he didn't go to. So he wasn't really off. I didn't quite understand that part, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, first of all, uh, we should note, and, and hopefully that'll still be the case when this episode drops, <laughs> but we have um, two people in this episode who play husband and wife, who are still with us in their 90s, Bob Dishy and um, Bonnie Bartlett. Mm. Um, I didn't realize that Mr. Dishy was still with us. That's fantastic, because I love him. Chris, we talked about him way back on Twilight Zone. 85, we're, baby. We're definitely going to be talking about him on Columbo, because he, if he hasn't already shown up, he's going to show up several times. Yes, he does. He will be, oh, well, look at this. Uh I'm turning 60 in January. He is turning 90 in January. Wow. Yeah. So he is still around. And, you know, that's interesting. I got him on the phone at one point for this. I don't even remember how I got his number. And I kind of told him what I was doing. And he seemed a little, I don't know if he was out of it or if he just wasn't trusting me or whatever. And he (laughs) says, well, let me get back to you. And I gave him all the names of people who you know, with whom I had already spoken, like Max Gale, Hill, and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, but I never heard from him again. Mm. So I never got his take on anything. But I am like you, I love Bob Dishy. I think he is so funny. And I 
I've always loved this particular character. Yeah, yeah. This whole thing that they find he was a delegate from the Democratic National Convention of 1976. Right. Barney says, says, you know, that's been over for a couple of months. And he says, is that all it's been? It's like the lost weekend, but it's the lost four years, you know, this, yeah, that's, it's pretty amazing. And for me though, the real heart of this episode is having, uh, Phil Leeds back. I mean, he's, (laughs) I think this is his sixth appearance out of seven. And I love how Barney is like, do I know you? And I'm like, yeah, you've seen this guy a lot. Last time I think he was a photographer and here he is. back again and um pretending to be an officer and basically eating levitt's lunch which i really like and levitt gets so mad levitt puts on the detective hat for this one to disparage and and to finally out this uh mysterious uh uniform police officer who is just doing a wonderful job and everybody on the floor likes him a lot (laughs) which of course no one ever gave credit to levitt for you know no one ever really warmed up to levitt but um yeah he first of all phil leads is oh yeah i mean he's got one of the best faces of all time on on television uh and that's why i know the one of the one of the casting directors i can't remember which one it was said to me that she loved to cast him just for his face um i believe that 100 percent. yeah oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's I mean, he's tremendous. Yeah, I I mean he he made I mean I mean one of my favorite Mel Brooks movies is History of the World Part. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> Torquemada. I mean that all of that. I mean he's so good, and it's like just a small little moment, but it makes I don't know like he's shown up a lot in this show, but this is like this is oddly <laughs> endearing and. Like can't talk him out of anything. No, he's like he's, he's also really sad in this episode. Like really, yeah. it's like kind of like a like he's like a really sad old man. Like you, you almost wonder if like there's one extra part of the story where like, well, when I retired, you know, my wife then died, and now I have like nothing to do. So this is what I'm doing, as opposed to like sitting and being like a sad widower at home. Like you could like see them building even further on that story if they really wanted to, because that's how kind of endearing the character is to the point where you know Barney is like this is a you know this is a big deal it's a big problem but by the end of the time and he's walking him out the door it's like you almost wish this guy would just stick around like in a lot of ways like for me personally i'm like oh his ad fill leads to the cast whatever like i'm not gonna complain well that's you know that's what made that that last part part of it so funny is that he doesn't understand why barney is gonna let him go right because they need the help and he's going to let him go, and basically he's just going to go to another precinct and do the exact same thing. Well, that's the great line when Wojo says, hey, Nash, where are you going next? And he's like, I haven't decided. <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. That. But, but I mean, the stuff with Bob Dishy, I also think, really works for what we've seen with the show before. And kind of, it's more in line with what we've seen with the show up until this point it doesn't feel so at odds with the tone of the show the way the last two episodes did i mean it's not a it's not a paranoid proof exactly but it's a guy who's completely you know i've had many sexual encounters like what the (laughs) fuck is this yeah when his wife shows up and she's just like i forgive you and he's like but i've done all these horrible things oh that's okay we'll work through it (laughs) is there is there no depth to your like forgiveness it's like i guess not like this you know you know it's yeah it's 
it's it's way more in line with what I was expecting for this show going into the 80s. Uh, and, you know, Hill Street Barney Miller is not what I was expecting. And that is totally <laughs> what those last two episodes were. But here's the thing. In an alternate universe, the show could pivot and have done that. And it would have been yeah. totally yeah, like that would have totally been a thing. And like, all right, awesome. I'm like, the show kind of does a different thing in the 80s because it's keeping up with the times. I just, I think it would have been an awful shame to waste all of these really great comedic actors on something that is not best suited for their talents, not because they're not talented enough, but because the people writing for them aren't talented enough to really, these aren't a botch co, like they're not, like that's a different expectation. Those are a different set of rules you're playing by. I just and I think that the people who write for this show when they write really well for it are as good as any of those shows, if not better, because this show resonates with police officers more than most shows, because it really is about what it's like as opposed to what everybody thinks it's supposed to be like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things was it in um, was it in this episode? I think. Yeah, I think it was in this episode. I think it's at the very beginning, the opening of the show where. um. Dietrich is talking to Barney about the hockey game. Hockey, yeah, it's so yeah. weird. That it's that was so now bizarre. that was a great example of the writers who, well, Duncan and Stein uh, probably weren't even there yet for that. But if you remember the an old episode, I think it's season two, maybe season three, with the Russian defector. You remember mm-hmm. the guy who wanted to defect? Oh yeah, and he he played in the orchestra for the ballet. And in that episode, um, Dietrich is talking to Marty about the beauty of Swan Lake or something like that. And, and he's obviously very, you know, knows what he's talking about. And then Marty says, oh, did you see it? And he's like, no, I, w- I had tickets to the hockey game. <laughs> so we know already that he's a hockey fan and he gave up ballet to go see a hockey game. Now, in this episode, it's a complete 180 where he's like, oh no, I went to the ballet. I don't, you know, the hockey game is just for people who want to see, you know, violence on the ice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, there's that thing where, where in those days of the 70s and 80s, the guys, well, the, the, the writers didn't necessarily stay either. So, but there, there was not a, a, an awareness. There was no big book of how it was going from beginning to end. So those things, now that used to happen way more in 60s sitcoms where you know whatever you did one week the next week every the slate was completely wiped clean there were no real continuing storylines or personality traits or you know speaking uh, of the simpsons mm -hmm. well there you go yeah i mean that's like that's like after the show effectively jumped the shark that became the biggest criticism is like homer's been a fucking astronaut so he had to you know it's like at what point have we just like not gone around the bend completely and yeah it's it yeah like you you point that out it's like man just like a genuine misunderstanding of the show but at the time who cared like Mm -hmm. at the time phil leeds played seven different characters in this show that's not a thing that happens now on like even on a show like I don't know, like a like a young Sheldon or something like a, you know an example of a show I don't watch, but I'm sure I can speak to the idea that like the same actor, if they're on that show, is probably playing the same character, not a different character every time, right. and no one is making note of it. And that's even just a light and frothy comedic show, which is exactly mm-hmm. like yeah. for a actual network drama you cannot have the same actor playing different characters unless someone makes note of it because it will make no sense and like Mm -hmm. that's 
that's the thing. It's like they, those other things. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of odd. It's like someone's playing this show in a minor key, not the major key it's normally being played in, which is kind of odd. Speaking of Dietrich, well, what I really want to see is I want to see a prequel so that we can see the merry mix-up that caused Dietrich to become a detective. <laughs> I know, that was a weird line. <laughs> <laughs> This yeah. is so strange. I'm like, wait, what? This is, the, Mary this is the mix up. This is the weird season of Barney Miller. That's what this is. Like the season where anything can happen. Yeah. And always does. Yeah. It's the Twilight Zone season. Yeah, and speaking of Twilight, days. speaking <laughs> of Twilight Zone, Chris, now, I, I've been too, um, I've been too kind and encouraging to you all episodes. So I will uh, make one criticism, and that is you said that we were sold the idea that Arthur Dietrich was an alien in earnest, and I would disagree with that. I don't think <laughs> I don't think anybody was supposed to take that seriously. Uh, I know that the, the explain- more Chris talks about it, the more I buy that theory, man. Explain to me why they did it then, Otto, for other than yuck yucks, when they've done it well, more, than, about- more than once. Are you talking about the um the uh, lie detector thing? The lie detector well, there's thing. That, there's there's the also Richard Libertini. Yes. yes. Oh, the Richard Libertini uh, one. Oh, I you're oh. a Dietrich. <laughs> a Dietrich. Otto, explain that but, one away. Oh wait, wait a minute. Wait, but wait. wait a minute. Okay, but wait a minute. <laughs> He's not an alien in that storyline idea. That guy came back from the future. So he's a time traveler. You, you no, Dietrich been... isn't. Only Libertini is. Libertini goes into the future, so he sees what becomes of Arthur Dietrich. I more, I more interpret it as Arthur Dietrich is in that future. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's in the future. He's in that future. With, so how is he able to? How seen. is he able to live that far in the future? Is he an alien? Oh, that's what you're saying. Oh, no, the it's guy. Like, if you remember, the, the guy wasn't future. that far in the future. If you remember, yes, the not too distant future. Yeah, Next he was Sunday only AD. like. Yeah, yeah he Next was only Sunday like. Th- he was only like thirty years into the future or something. But didn't he say that there was like world wars? Do you guys remember that? Like it was like it was a apocalypse. Well, wasn't it? you have to invest in zinc. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and again. Because I have way too much time on my hands, I did the mathematical equation for everybody. <laughs> and in fact, he would have made as much money with zinc as you would have made with gold. Oh, that's hilarious. Wow. If he had bought the amount of zinc that he was going to buy, the increase in price over those 30 years would have been equal to gold. Wow. Fucked up. That's funny. So I mean yes. we we can we can we can disagree. That's perfectly fine, Otto. But to be fair, I will say you would agree it's not outside of the realm of possibility for that to be the case, given the in earnest other kinds of supernatural and paranormal things the show has introduced, like all of the Kenneth Tigar stuff. <laughs> it's not outside of the realm of possibility, especially given the 70s and that kind of stuff being really in in the 70s. Yeah. See Eric Von Daniken, Chariots of the Gods, the Gods all yeah. that kind of stuff. I'm well, not saying it's, it's I'm not saying it's guaranteed, but I'm saying they left room for there to be something like that just because why not? It's funny. And it is funny. Well, well I'm probably thin-skinned about it because... When you go down that path, I think of more like Night Court. And Night Court, which was obviously influenced by Barney, became much more of a fantasy uh, all the time. You know, it was so fantastical, the storylines, that I don't 
like when people compare Nightcourt and Barney, I say, well, yes, but one was a realistic program and one was a fantasy. Program. So you br- you bristle at that, is what you I saying. do. Yes, I bristle at mm. that. And you know me, Chris. I don't bristle easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I will say I understand that, but at the same time, like I think this show has done a very good job at balancing a fun sense of that with again being self-aware that like those kinds of things can't get in the way of being realistic and night court just like at some point gave up on that but that's okay yeah it worked in the favor of that show and it made that show a show that people remember and you know you know and that's fine and that's fine like i uh, but i understand why you would bristle at that too because in a lot of ways i bet people that i bet people and we never we never asked this question, Mike, but I'm sure people that really like Kolchak bristle when people compare it to the X-Files. I'm sure they probably bristle. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they probably bristle at it because it's like, well, this is better. It's like, I kind of get it. Like, I can understand why you would feel that way because like they're they're comparative, but they're not in a lot. And they're 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 comparative, but in a lot of ways, they are very different. And the things that make them different are the things that make them way better than other things that are similar to them. 100%. And by, and yeah. by the way. I happen to love the Richard Libertini episode. It's an amazing episode. That whole joke is a favorite of mine and my friend, uh, Dr. Madigan, who Mike knows. Uh, By the way, Tim, I told Tim I was meeting with you guys tonight, and he said, well, please give my regards to Mike White and to Chris Stasho. He's a big fan of yours, Chris. Oh, nice. Uh, um, oh, good. <laughs> I yeah. love knowing that other people find what I say is 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 really uh, millennial and off putting. Uh, there you go. <laughs> now, now, did I say that? No, oh. I just, I no, I will say though, like in a, in a lot of ways, like this show has done a better job than even a show like Kolchak did at trying to be progressive. And in a lot, I mean, like this is a very progressive show. Like it's in, in, in a way that like the moments that it has those missteps seem bigger than they would otherwise because of how good of a job this show always does. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Yeah. And, and like, I, there's a reason you wrote a book about this show. There's a reason we've spent three plus years of our lives talking about this show. There's a reason cops still love this show. And I think even if you showed it to a, zoomer or millennial cop so someone my age or younger they would still probably find some humor in the mundanity that is shown on screen in this show and that's because this show is important and that's why you wrote a book about it and that's why we're talking about it and that's why when it has missteps they really suck because this show for the most part is like and i think mike i I think i can speak for both of us this is like the most solid show that we've watched together so far in a lot of ways like a lot of the other stuff we've watched together have had some episodes that have been really clunkers this show we've spent most of our time saying this is a perfectly good episode this is fun it might be average but i mean this show's average is still better than most shows best and that's i mean that's a pretty glaring uh or like a a glowing uh you know i don't know it's it's a pretty it's pretty hard for me to say a lot of bad stuff about this show but when the show has those moments that don't hit the same notes that it usually does it's just like whoa who's writing yeah yeah yeah, yeah it was a it, they, like i say there's, there's nothing <laughs> there's no way to explain homicide no uh yeah. th- there's no way to explain it because and, it doesn't uh, even stay through to this next episode like this next episode is such a massive re-correction of the show's tone it's like what what did you just have like did you just like have a dream episode for two episodes? Like, where is this right. coming from? I, it's it's so strange. It's a, it no. is. Well, the other thing I said, I think I, I had to have said this in the book, but and that is, 
The other thing that I never understood about the homicide episode was, oh, they're going to change all the precincts and they're all going to be specialty squads now. So one's going to be homicide, one's going to be narcotics, blah, 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 blah. And I'm thinking, excuse me, every single movie or TV show we saw in the 1970s already had all big city police forces like that. They all, And in fact, in one of the earlier Barney episodes, doesn't Barney lose the inspector or whatever he was going to be to a guy who has been in narcotics? And he says, oh, sure, he was a, he was in narcotics, so he had a lot of high-profile arrests and stuff under his, right. you know, in his group. So um, that part didn't make sense either <laughs> because every big city police force is broken up into into those departments well it feels like you would have like a specialty department on like the third floor you know the fr- the first floor is uniforms the second floor is like these detectives who are just there for anything and then the specialty up on the next floor like if i were to set up police departments but yeah i, I right. it is weird when yeah there are so many like oh yeah precinct 172 the homicide department you know like they're they're always embedded as part of the other people, you know, but they exactly. special specialists there. You know, you think about LA Confidential, and it's like, well, Jack Vincennes got bounced stored in narcotics and Exley's working homicides. It's like, yeah, they're all working for the same precinct. They're just doing different jobs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, you well, have to it? go to one other precinct entirely to go to narcotics. Yeah. Like that literally makes yeah, no, no go sense. Go to the the twentieth. I think that's on tenth or no, it's the tenth over on the twentieth. Yeah, yeah. It's like what <laughs> is this? What is this insanity? Like this is not how this works. Like there's there's no bureaucrat on uh, enough cocaine in 1980 to suggest this change because this is such a like change to the workflow like that makes no sense like that you couldn't even address this in one episode this would be something that you would have to be like mentioning throughout the season that they're going to do at the beginning of the next season and it's like okay you're giving us like all of these things and oh they're adding new people and other people are being taken no they just like one episode this is happening and then ho ho it's not anymore it's like whoa whoa and then again like now we're just right back to the show as it was previously programmed it's like whoa so i i i don't i the other question that i have is does the delegate work better as then if we just Okay, the delegates the first episode of the seventh season. Does it work as the first episode of the seventh season? It would work fine as the first I, episode of the seventh season. I think it would be, yeah, totally acceptable. Yeah. No, it would work fine. We just yeah. it just it doesn't exist. I, I just I, I it doesn't it is so it's like it doesn't exist. Well, the other thing that I always thought was funny too is if we're supposed to believe that this it like is like is this a homicide squad for the entire city of New York? Right. right. <laughs> yes. So in any given shift, you have three detectives for all the murders on the island of Manhattan. That doesn't make sense. That's yeah. gonna be a long night. Uh-huh. Barney checks his glasses. Oh, I got seventy-five cases became fifteen hundred in the matter of like that. It's oh, it, yeah. it it it's yeah. It's so weird because again, like they it's. It's never mentioned again. So cool. Well, I just want to I just want to thank you gentlemen um for bringing me on to trash uh, a double episode of a show that I spent 6 years of my life writing a book about. So, <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> I mean again, it it for me it really like Wo like Wojo's girl was meant to be a 
pilot for another pilot. show. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like that for me has always felt like that's the explanation. Like now, that's the explanation that makes sense. Like even if it's bad, it makes sense. There's no explanation that would that would make homicide make sense because it it it's just for what they did, and then they go right back to an episode where Phil Leeds is just a happy oh XCPA who's filing paperwork while Mr. Cotterman's getting murdered by <laughs> by young punks, you know, Death Wish style. Like what the fuck show? Like I love this show, but even I have my moments of being like Barney Miller has maybe gone as close to jumping the shark as the show will probably ever get. I feel like no. I'm- People on Facebook are experts and we're just amateurs with what oh, we're doing. Good. Uh, I was reading the other day on the Barney Miller Facebook uh, group, the fan group, um, that Wojo's Girl was one of five or six shows that they had planned because they were going to split up the entire precinct and they would all have their own solo shows. I smell bullshit in that statement. And I wanted to call this guy out, but I figured I would go to resident Bernie Miller expert, Otto Bruno and ask him any truth to that. Not as far as I know, not a single person, not max, not, not uh hail. No one ever said that to me. Uh, Tony, uh, did not say Tony Sheehan did not say that. Um, this guy's trying to sell you the Epcot. Idea. So you're saying, so you're saying that they felt like, oh, there was going to be a separate Dietrich show, and there's yeah. going to be a separate Harris show, yeah. and a, like, uh-huh. like, yeah. ev- like a hotel in every section of Epcot. You got to tailor to every person who loves this show. You got the Harris show, and like that doesn't even sound real. Like how? No, you I know what? As much it as make sense at all. As much as I love this show, like there's no way that they could pull off an Arthur Dietrich, Steve Landisberg show like that. Like it just wouldn't work as much as I love him. Like it's not, it wouldn't work at all. First of all, nobody, no one, a, no one ever said anything like that to me. B Danny, Danny wasn't crazy about fish splitting off into its own show because he he wanted to, well, I mean, it wasn't just his problems with, with Abe Vigoda, it was also the fact that he wanted, he felt he needed to focus all his attention on this one show to make it the best show that it, that, you know, that he wanted it to be. So that's, if anyone ever thought of that or anyone ever brought that idea up, I can guarantee you, I mean, to, to the, you know, as much as I can guarantee you anything about this, uh, that it was certainly not Danny Arnold's idea. If anyone ever floated that idea out. But again, like I say, Hal Linden never mentioned anything like that. Max was the one who told me that, you know, they wanted him to do a pilot because they wanted to spin him off. And he didn't really want to be spun off. So he had to get a separate agreement saying that if he didn't want to do it, he didn't have to after he saw the the result. Um, Smart man. Yeah. So, I mean, like the smartest smart decision. That doesn't that doesn't sound right to me okay would you would you say that like i said everybody's an expert right yeah would you say that doesn't that doesn't pass the mustard (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't i mean it that just sounds too wild like we already saw what happened when gregory sierra was given his own show like because that yeah and and that that was kind of funny show and it was not given not given much much of a chance it was given like six episodes yep that's um right and it was, and I thought that show was kind of funny from what I remember of it. Uh, I haven't been able to find any. It had Gregory Sierra, it had Ralph Monza, it had Rosanna DeSoto, it had um, 
uh, Alan Miller had a lot of good, good people in it. Um, but yeah, no, that, that does not, I don't know where did they, did they say where they got that from? No. And I almost engaged, but I know that arguing on the internet is not a smart thing to do. <laughs> arguing on the internet is the smartest thing any one of us could be doing. <laughs> At a time like this, in these, in these uncertain and troubling times, the best thing we can do is argue with someone on the internet about Barney Miller. I think the funnier thing is to call them out on an episode of this show, which is what you did. Yes, because I know they won't listen. Because if I post, you know, homicide part one, part two, the delegate, they'll say, I love the delegate. That was great. Oh, the writing in homicide was terrific. So, <laughs> well, that's the question that I have for you, uh, Mr. Bruno, because you're again, you are, you are the, the Barney Miller expert. Season seven, as fans perceive it, not a favorite season either. Oh, well, I mean, I, I mean, I can't speak for the general population obviously um i i was you know i took it on as a job to write about an entire show so i right. and you know one of the things that some of the people some of the people who were fans early on told me in fact a couple of people on facebook that i had met this was way before had said well i'd want to see this this and this and one of the things they wanted to see was my opinion of things that they said i would want the author to give his opinion so, you know, again, I, I here's my feeling about it. my my thing about Barney was always that I thought it was woefully underrated for the time that it that it it played. Uh, everyone always talked about All in the Family, MASH, you know, all these other shows. And Barney kind of got the short shrift, kind of got forgotten, lost in the shuffle, whatever the case may be. And I always felt that it was underappreciated. I felt as I've, we've already said tonight, I felt that one of its strong points was the fact that despite serious subject matter throughout the course of the series, they were always, almost always, <laughs> uh, able to make it funny, even when they were, even when they were dealing with serious uh, issues. They, there were always moments of humor throughout every episode. Um, for me, I think season seven overall is the weakest because I think it got away. From the heart of the show, which was that human condition type of thing that I think set it apart so much. And season one is difficult just because the characters haven't found themselves yet. But every show goes through that. Um, you know, I, we could all we all have our different opinions. I mean, I've said this to my my daughter before and she doesn't agree with this, but I don't think I think I think any sitcom that attempts to go beyond five full seasons is is treading on very challenging ground um, because I think most sitcoms after five full seasons can't help but reuse program idea. I mean, it's just it's a just you know what I mean. It's not the same as a drama. Um, well, on what gr I'm curious on what grounds does she disagree? Well, because she loves shows like um, Scrubs, which she felt the only bad season was that last extra season okay. that they okay. brought back. Or you know, it's just her. I I just think it's because there's certain shows that she loves, and like she loved the Frasier, but she says, yeah, the last couple seasons were bad. She goes, but it, it certainly was funny after the fifth season. And again, I'm not saying that no sitcom should ever go past five seasons. I'm just saying it becomes more and more 
difficult. I think five is the ideal for a great sitcom. Now, here's the one that, in my opinion, went for a long, fairly long time, seven seasons, and really never stumbled. And that's Mary Tyler Moore Show. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, again, it, it, it unheard of, unheard of. That show is still amazing to me because if you watch it all the way through, it changes, the characters change, but it remains funny in different ways. And, and even as the characters are growing and changing, it's still funny. It still has heart. It's still intelligent. It's really phenomenal, quite honestly. Uh, Dick Van Dyke show, a perfect show. Five seasons they had, I don't know, maybe three, four bad episodes in five seasons. Unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. Um, there are, But there are so few shows that can do that. And certainly Barney Miller seasons two through six, I would hold up with the best of any five seasons of any show, every any sitcom ever made. And that includes All in the Family or MASH. Um, All in the Family and MASH both are the two that I never uh, I never had the same affection for because I felt they became too much of a dramedy as they went on. Uh, you know, now that said, I watched yeah. Yeah. Some of I, the Alan Alda episodes could get a little thick sometimes. Uh, yeah. And he always had that, you know, he had those same jokes where he would say things three times and in a different way. You know, I won't fire this gun. I can do this to this gun. I can do this to this gun. I can do that to this gun, but I will not fire this gun. And yeah, some of those were just much. I have huge affection for it. I haven't done a full rewatch, but growing up with MASH, it was, you know, a perfect show. And I just remember the final final episode being a great final episode. But yeah, I imagine that if I go back and I watch season six through ten or whatever, that they're probably not going to be. I mean, obviously, once Henry spoilers. Once Henry Blake died, <laughs> once Frank left, once even Trapper, I liked BJ, but Trapper was where it was at. Once those three principals left, each succeeding departure was a lessening of the quality. Yes, I did like a lot of uh, Charles uh, Winchester, but not nearly as much as Frank. I mean, I, David Ogden Steers is fucking fantastic, but man, um, Frank Burns just was such a great character. Yeah. No, it it just went on too, too long. And for me, and like, that's why I say I don't, yeah. I don't hold it in the same that everyone else. Now I just watched last night. I watched an episode of all in the family and you know, every time I watch it, I, you know, it's now it was, one of the episodes I watched last night was season two, I think. So it was still, you know, but, um, I, I had no problem with the, with the subject matter of the All in the Family episodes, um, because again, they covered serious stuff and were making it really funny. They were also somewhat, you know, they were balanced because there's times throughout that series where Michael is the annoying one. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see where, you know, Michael takes himself too seriously and becomes kind of pretentious and whatever. And that's set off against Arnie or uh, Archie's bigotry. And so, you know, it's like not just one bad person all the time. And again, Mike's not bad. He's a good guy, but it's just, it's not so heavy handed and one sided. Uh, in fact, Danny Arnold, by the way, to bring it back to Danny Arnold, we were just talking about this because my wife watched this episode with me last night and she said, God, I loved Edith so much. 
And I said, you know, Danny Arnold, in one of the interviews I, I got, the guy he was talking to was a guy named Bob Claster. I guess he used to be a radio guy in LA or something. And Danny said to this Bob Claster something that I've said often to my, to my daughter, the, the, the TV person, and that is, you got to have likable characters you gotta like the characters and claster said to this guy to danny in this interview which was like 1978 and he said well how do you explain archie bunker and he said well that's a good question he says look at edith bunker Uh and the guy said well what do you what do you mean he says edith we would all agree is a wonderful person and she loves archie therefore if she loves archie there's got to be something redeeming about that character she is so loyal to him, so devoted to him. And I'm like, wow, that's a, that was an interesting, you know, an interesting insight into that because he could, he, I mean, you know, he could be so awful, but at the same time, he was funny and you knew that he was ignorant. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, yeah, she was the, the Marge Simpson of her day. She's the redemptive arc of the character. Right. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I mean, yeah, to bring it back to the Simpsons, like, yeah, I mean, Marge Simpson is, she's that for Homer. That's how you, I mean, I mean, Homer's lovable, le- a lot less abrasive, but I mean, those early seasons, you could make the case that like jerk ass Homer and all of that really fun stuff. Once yeah. the show gets, once the show got bad, um, or at least what well, was bad for a while, apparently it's good again. Um, but it, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because I was going to ask you and then you said it two through six it's like that that right there are are the gates because the first season of this show was very uh not off but odd like it was just it was it, it hadn't found its footing yet which is perfectly fine like i'm not sure anybody's gonna go tell anyone to watch the first season of tng actually i know most people wouldn't uh, but that does not inform the rest of the quality of that show which is you know again one of the great shows of television and this show is is in that same conversation what's tng uh, the next generation, Star Trek, Star- the next generation, Star Trek. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, it's not for it's not for everybody, but not, but you know, but you know, neither neither is Barney Miller, but that's okay. I think I think that's that's the thing about really quality classic television is like even though it might not be for you if you watch an episode of it, you can understand like how and why and who it resonated with. And Barney Miller, like, I don't know, it's it. it I'm excited to see what a misstep for this show looks like, frankly, because it's been so good up until this point. Like, all right, like if this season is kind of strange and odd and it does weird things like, OK, like I, I'm it can't get any worse than homicide. <laughs> no, yeah. I don't. I don't think you'll see anything like this again. Like I say, the episode and I just looked it up is coming up later in this season. It's episode 13 called The Librarian which doesn't give away the storyline that I'm talking about, but it's a, it's very, very serious, Mm. but there is, especially even at the end, but even throughout it, you see that humanity, which I, which I treasure so much in Barney Miller. You see that in that episode coming up the librarian that you'll, that you'll, uh, you'll recognize when you get to it that, oh, this is what Otto was talking about. Well, and that's so. the thing. I mean, I love the fact that this show does have those moments because like, I mean, those are, I mean, Mike mentioned it with the Harris incident. Like it gets serious in those moments, but that's when it shows. And when Chano shot, you know, shot the guy in that episode, like those are the moments where the show really shines because it goes that one step further. And 
I, I, I mean, that's why that's why this show is what it is. And and what a ha- lot of it is Hal Linden. Like a lot of it really is Hal Linden as well. Like credit. What to season? Him. What season is the slave in? Have you guys watched that one yet? Yeah, we did watch that one. Um, that was, was that season one. six? Yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because that's, that's another. Goodie. That's mm-hmm. another good one. That's that's serious, but also funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and rye and ironic, you know, it's got a and lot the, of layers. And the uniform it. day, the uniform day is kind of serious too. I think we talked about that one because right. that's when Barney and Harris kind of break as Have being friends yeah. and they become more kind of frenemies. I think even now, like you know, well, maybe not. Maybe this season they'll just be completely weird to one another, which would which would track given right. that this season is is shaping up to be unlike anything we've seen up into this. <laughs> Well, again, I'm I'm excited for. Uh, I watched uh, about a week or so ago. I watched The Sting with my son, and he had never seen it before. And of course, I had seen it numerous times. And I said, "But it's fun to watch The Sting with someone who's never seen it before." You know, for them to kind of get that. And so it's fun for me knowing what you still have ahead of you, Chris. That will, you know, the roller coaster that will take you up and down and. I'm I'm excited. The show is the show is being weird, and I'm also glad to know that you and you kind of you know let it out a little bit. I'm glad to know that the show kind of redeems itself as well in the end because I I think it does. Yeah, I that does. would that would because I haven't read it. I haven't read ahead in your book. I've only been reading as much as we've been watching. Um and oh okay. I, and I don't, I don't want to know how this ends because, like, this is going to be the first show where I'm like genuinely sad when we're done with it. Not that I'm saying we weren't with Kolchak. I think we were when we did some things with Father Malone on Dreams for Sale. We were kind of getting a little wistful about that, or with Rankin. But this is like a pretty big project that, I mean, Mike, you and I have been doing for quite some time. Um, and like we're getting into the home stretch, and I'm glad to know that like this show doesn't do what seemingly everything else has. Which is yeah. Which is take a big shit right at the end. <laughs> Everything else we've watched is taken a shit at the end and not cleaned it up. I'm glad this show takes a shit, but cleans it up at least in the end. Because that 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 puts some joy in my heart. <laughs> well, on our next episode, we're going to get reintroduced to an actor who is now playing a new character as Dorsey. Uh, we will be talking about Dorsey, Agent Orange, and Call Girl, one of our favorite subjects around here. Very sex worker and we've got yet another call girl on here so we'll be talking about those next month when we come back with some more the life and times of captain barney miller until then Otto, what are you working on these days sir uh actually since last we talked remember did i did i spill the bag on what the next uh yes, showbiz book i was Bruno researching book. I can't no, wait oh my that. god you and madigan with friggin victor buono <laughs> Um, no, I'm actually for beer for Bear Manor. I'm working on a Dean Martin book. But what happened is um, I had written a series of articles for many years for this publication in Chicago, and I'm now putting those together. Ooh. And that's going to be a collection of profiles. But that's a baseball book on Italian American baseball players. That's great. Um, that I'm doing for McFarland. So um, yeah, I got a couple things on my plate right now. That's terrific. I'm really yeah. glad to hear that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of, lot of, uh, a lot of serious work I have to get to after the holidays because <laughs> I have some deadlines coming up. And Chris, how about yourself? Just uh, running the ship over to Weirding Way Media, doing audio podcast with you, Mike. Uh, we got some new stuff coming after the first of the year. Some Patreon stuff, talking about James Bond movies on Patreon, doing some uh, 
other weird esoterica things. And uh, yeah, we'll see. Sopranos, who knows? Uh, WeirdingWayMedia.com is where you can find all of it. And, and the culture cast, that, that thing too. What about you, Mike? Well, yeah, I can find everything that I do over at WeirdingWayMedia.com, including the Projection Booth, which is a movie podcast that I do, I would say once a week, but I was just counting up. And this year, I have put out 178 episodes so far. (laughs) Um, Whoa. Yeah. That overachiever. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, really? Is that? That number can't be right. So. Oh, it's right. I mean, it's wrong, but it's right. <laughs> well, 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 now I feel bad because that means I was on less than 2% of them then. <laughs> Bro- brother, that yeah, I don't even know what the number would be for the two of us together. Because like, <laughs> well, I mean, when you look at some of those things like this, what was it? Seven, eight part uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark series that we did. The reading of the Lost Ark where we had what three main things plus three follow up discussions plus two interviews plus a review of dial of destiny so those add up you know right. that's all part of that special reports number 120 special reports so some were you know 10 minutes long others were an hour long so you never knew where you're gonna be in that but wow yeah so those are all over at weirdingwaymedia.com and you can also check out my patreon at patreon.com slash projection booth where you can get all that stuff with a very minimal amount of ads Pretty much the ads that are in there are just ads for other weirdly media shows. So you can always have fun with that. I want to thank John Walker for our theme music. I want to thank everybody for listening. Please, if you like the show, rate and review it. If you don't like the show, then shut the hell up. <laughs>